welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am joined today by a special guest, William Updike of Locked on Clippers. William, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Wow, I shouldn't call you William. Guest. Sorry, that was weird. I'm going to call you Will. I apologize. Oh, either one is <laughs> either one is totally fine. All right, well, um, so you obviously podcast about the Clippers every day, and yes. I wanted to get your feel, just like a general, you know, mood of how the Clippers are doing right now, because there's been a lot of ups and downs this season, but... How are you sitting right now with this team? Right now, pretty good. I feel like, I don't know, I, what's the saying that like you are what your record in, says you are? Sure. Uh, and that's, I guess, a little bit where I feel right now. I don't know if the pecking order is quite where it uh, lays out, but I mean, I do feel like the, the Clippers are in those top contenders in the West, but there's some serious competition in a way that I really wasn't expecting as much in the offseason. Um, and just, I mean, like looking at the game, even for tomorrow, the Suns are really a lot closer to us, like looking at the numbers than, than I had thought. Um, so I, I think that I'm, I'm feeling good where they are last season. Like the process definitely looks a lot better than it looked last year. Uh, there's been good surprises this year instead of like just all terrible surprises last year. So that's been, uh, th- like, that's been nice to see. As far as like the playoffs, I mean, I think so much is just going to depend on how these like how the standings end up shaking out, Um, because right now looking at it like the Clips have a somewhat easy path. Um, The Blazers, I think, in the first round and then the second round, um, uh, I forget who they would face right now, but uh, it just depends. It would be the Suns or like the winner of the seventh seed in the play in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. so that, I mean, like, I kind of like that as far as matchups go, but I don't know, things can get topsy-turvy real quick. And I mean, it's not inconceivable that we could end up in a first round matchup against the Lakers. And then that is, I mean, it's not a first round matchup that it should uh, not be like <laughs> the first time these two teams ever face in postseason history should not be in the first round. No, absolutely not. They should just like engage in some hijinks to make sure that it doesn't happen at the end of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to see some creative accounting on the NBA's part to uh, give us the, give us the Western conference finals we want. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, we meant that the plan was to get like the best possible matchups later in the playoffs, not in the first round. Also, I mean, I don't know how that's going to affect teams coming like for fighting for that seven, eight seed. Cause that seems, that seems kind of brutal to have to go through that and then like play the jazz in the first round. Um, I, I like, I, I think the idea is interesting. I think when it actually comes to fruition in the playoffs, it's going to make that first round, like just way more tedious. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't given it that much thought um, mostly because I don't expect the Clippers to, you know, fall into the plan. And at this point they're probably, well, at this point they're not playing a team that's even gotten into the plan. So Uh, I really liked it last year in the bubble. You know, I thought that it was a fair compromise, you know, to the teams that were trying to make their way into the playoffs to have an extra opportunity. Except for the Suns. The Suns just literally were invited because they needed an even number of teams. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we have to invite one team from the Eastern Conference just to, like, give the illusion that there is a postseason chase for the eighth seed. And as long as we have an odd number of teams, welcome Phoenix, you know, come on down (laughs) to Orlando for a couple weeks. But yeah, that was, that was so silly. Like literally could not have done more and still did not make even the plan. But yeah, it was so no. much fun. You know, that race to get to the plan, like that last night when Brooklyn and Portland are playing each other and it comes down to that last Karis LeVert shot. Like that was the best possible advertisement the NBA could have had for this system. And like, how are yeah. they not going to continue with it? You know, when you've got that insane drama to yeah. start off with. Right. Um, but yeah. I, I hadn't considered. And then the West was a little less interesting for the plan. Yeah. 
then, I mean, I, mean, I would have rather watched the Suns play yeah. the Lakers in the first round. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, once Damian Lillard got hurt, then like, what are you going to do? But I think, uh, you know, the, the general idea that I got from you was that it's not so much that the Clippers look any worse than you thought they would, maybe even better than preseason expectations might have dictated. It's just that the rest of the West is much better than any of us really thought. Like I came into the season thinking, oh, we've got a Lakers-Clippers duopoly at the top. And let's just, you know, see which third contender emerges to like give one of them a test during the playoffs. And that is, I mean, judging by the standings, that is definitely not the case, right? Like the Lakers aren't even in the top four. Uh, Who knows how much further down they're going to fall while AD and LeBron are hurt. And then you've got Utah, best record in the league. Phoenix, like you said, top five in offense and defense, which should be like the the mark of like a true contender. And yet I don't think anybody's talking about them as such. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So why don't we start there actually with the Suns? Because Clippers are playing the Suns tomorrow. They have played them once already this season in a just stupid game where they went up 31 and then gave it all back. And it was remarkably competitive by the end of it. And that was sort of a common practice for the Clippers at the start of the year. You know, I talk with my brother about this all the time, about who the MVP should be this year. And he is steadfast that it's Chris Paul. Oh, wow. And, uh, I, I mean, Chris Paul is not on any of my lists, but I can see how you go from a Phoenix team that did not make the playoffs last year. They made one real change. Yeah, they added Jay Crowder, whatever. They made one real change in getting Chris Paul. And all of a sudden, number two seed in the West, like we said, top five, top offense, top five defense. I'm not sure that I can go as far as MVP because he's, like his individual numbers are not on the same level as like the Embiid's and Jokic's of the world, but like you're a Clipper fan, you watch Chris Paul plenty. Um, what is it about the Suns you think that's working so well this year? Like, should should we be taking them more seriously than we are so far? Oh, we should absolutely be taking them more seriously. Like, it's scary looking at like their you know their defensive rating. They, like, it's yeah, top five. Like you said, I mean, you look at a lot of stats, and I mean, like we're neck and neck with them in in a lot of like like the rebounding numbers, uh, and you know, they're also like denying the ball really well. Like teams are averaging the lowest number of assists in the NBA against the Suns, which is not something that I would have thought like coming into this season. Uh, But like the Chris Paul thing, I think that he's the perfect, he is like the perfect fit for what that team kind of needed, I guess, from like a cultural standpoint and just a leader standpoint. But the hard thing for me with MVP is like, how do you quantify stuff like that like I mean it's just impossible to quantify like someone's like like the sort of non-box box scorey type things which I you know I would love for the MVP to be based on that but mm-hmm. it it's like it literally is just a sharp shouting match between one person and another yeah. as to who is like providing more like of the intangible type of value to a team but he's definitely a big part of that I think just also having another year to gel. I mean, having so many young guys and then, you know, moving in veterans, uh, having, I mean, like, is this the first year that they've ever had the co- the same coach two years in a row with <laughs> Devin Booker there? I mean, like, so there's a lot of things kind of coming together to work for them at the same time. But no, I don't, I, like, I don't think that Chris Paul's role can be understated in, you know, sort of elevating them to where they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up what they're doing well, you know, defensively, because, like, I don't, I don't think they've had a positive defense in the Devin Booker era, but like you said, this might be the first time they've had the same coach for back-to-back seasons during that stretch. And God, I really want to look it up, but I don't want to take a break to do that. Um, <laughs> so like, I, mean, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, the Clippers have only played them once this year, but I really have no idea how they're going to match up because on the one hand, like their backcourt is like 
you'd think that the Clippers are well suited to defend a team with a strong backcourt, right? You put Pat Bev on Chris Paul or, and then PG on Devin Booker. You've got Kawhi like roaming around a little bit in help. Like that seems to me to be a perfectly fine way of setting up your base defense, at least to start the game. And yet, you know, I'm assuming other teams have tried similar setups on the Suns and it's not working. Like how, what do you think they do well that like could specifically mess with the Clippers? Um, well, they're just, they're, they're extremely efficient, uh, mm-hmm. like the Clippers are. So I, I always like, I know that personnel wise, we have the people to deal with really dynamic backcourts. Uh, those are always the kind of matchups that I sort of fear the most. Um, it's like one of the reasons why, you know, looking at the Lakers or somebody, I do feel like we match up a little bit better than them just because of their backcourt situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that guarding that is going to be really difficult. Pat Beverly, we've seen is in like these really limited stints. I think he's only playing like four straight minutes really at a time. Right. Uh, and then, you know, how I think that this is where it's going to start to be interesting to look at the type of lineups that Ty Lue is actually going to start going to. Cause I mean, so far, like from what we know about Ty Lue is it's just like, it's rough draft, rough draft, rough draft. But like, this is a game uh, that a team that you are, I mean, most likely going to have to go through at some point uh, it's, is what it's looking like if you want to make it out of the West. So I I'm curious to see like how those rotations uh, work in the backcourt specifically. Like, do we see Terrence Mann a little bit sooner? He was really limited uh, last game with with Rondo coming, uh, with Rondo joining this, the squad. So I think that he's like the most interesting defensive piece against a backcourt like that. Um, and it would be really good to see him get those kind of reps if we are going to, you know, like see him get some sort of playoff rotation minutes. Um, and other than that, like, I think that the Clippers – the, the Clippers are going to hunt out isolations offensively um, and, and look to go that way. Uh, I think that we'll see less movement than, than we have seen, but I think uh, against teams, uh, we've struggled against, uh, we've struggled against higher tier teams to score. And I think that some of that is, is part of the bad habits of falling back on isolation, but when it's working, uh, it just makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it just makes sense. It's still just a very efficient offense, but uh, yeah, I think that we'll struggle to move the ball. Yeah. That, that's a good point that when you have a team like Phoenix who turns you over quite a bit and like denies potential assists, maybe it's not such a bad thing to fall into your isolation habits, especially when you have players like Kawhi and PG and even Marcus Morris, who are so adept in that offensive setup. Um, it's funny you mentioned, you know, that the Clippers always struggle against guards because I think of their personnel and it's like, oh, you've got, you know, defensive player of the year winner, Kawhi Leonard, you've got all defense guy and Paul George, their strengths should lie on the perimeter. And yet this is a team that protects the paint really, really well and kind of just gives up a lot of threes and they're contested threes, So it's not a huge deal, but like, I'm, you know, leaning more and more into the fact that their best defensive player is not any of the guys I just mentioned. It's actually Vita Zubac. And that was the next thing I want to talk to you about because I don't think it's an accident that the Clippers have proverbially flipped the switch on defense over the past two weeks when Zubac has been the starting center. Like you can say, Oh, they came out of the all-star break and they got their butts whipped by new Orleans and they had this internal motivation to start playing better. Sure. I also think that the personnel makes a big difference because Zubac is just an outstanding defensive center. Like he protects the rim really well. He, laterally can switch on to guys on the perimeter. Like I become just more and more impressed with what he's able to do on a game to game basis. And like, it just, it shocks me sometimes just how he keeps getting better. So yeah, I think that that's kind of where the Clippers excel is like 
against teams that want to make their offense in the paint, which is like why they do well against the Lakers as opposed to teams like, I don't know, that have more perimeter talent like Brooklyn, so to speak. But that what I wanted to talk about actually was like, do you think that Zubac has done enough to warrant a spot in the starting lineup versus Ibaka? Or is it unfair to surge to bench him because he got hurt? So where I was at with this is, I mean, there's no denying how much, like you said, how much better the defense looks with Zoo on the floor. Um, you know, like it's just, it's what we needed in those, like when the whole conversation surrounding the Clippers was the clutch situation. To me, the problem wasn't the offense. It was that we weren't getting stops and we weren't rebounding the ball well. Uh, and Zoo, you know, fixes both of those things. As far as like the starting argument, I, so I guess earlier I would have been inclined to say it makes sense to keep Serge in there. I just think that Zoo should probably get the lion's share of the minutes depending on the matchup, and he should definitely be in the closing lineup unless, you know, there's some funky matchup that that, that it behooves us to have Serge in, in the closing minutes. But from where I'm at right now, like, once again, we're, we're starting to run up. I mean, there's 20 games left. We're starting to run up on the continuity thing again. And at this point, you know, Zoo has more continuity with the starting lineup. So I'm starting to kind of doubt the, like, the utility of having Serge back in there because uh, it, it's like a readjustment period. Uh, so overall, I mean, like, it's I guess it's a good problem to have. But from what I've seen from Zoo so far, I mean, like, I don't what more would he have to do to earn the spot? Yeah, it's funny because like the Clippers had this issue last year where Zoo was the starting center, but was not playing any of the minutes that you would want him to right? Not in terms of the volume and when he was on the court, because during clutch, it was, it was always Montrezl Harrell. And like, I, I probably wouldn't have an issue if Serge were playing the Zubach minutes from a year ago and Zubach was getting the Trez minutes from a year ago. I don't think that'd be a problem, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, the, the, Ty Lu talks about this just like ad nauseum with the Clippers. Like you've got to come out with the right mindset and like, you know, set the tone early. And I worry that if you have what is like inarguably a weaker defensive lineup to start, are you letting other teams get into a rhythm early that like, even when you get Zubach back in the game, it's too late to just turn off the faucet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, shouldn't you just be starting your best players? Like, can we just keep the politics out of it? No, I, I like, I agree. And I think that, I, I think that establishing momentum early has been huge for the Clippers. I mean, every single game they've done be a better job at being able to like battle back in games this season than they were last year. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a, there's an importance to trying to put away games early. And if you kind of look at the shot selection that we were willing to sort of give up to teams uh, you know, it was like, it was mid-range kind of stuff, uh, some further out in the paint, like floaters and whatnot. And I think that we've seen teams be less successful with that, given the same shot, like allowed the same shot profile with Zoo on the floor versus Surge, which makes sense. I mean, he's a big dude. He's a better rim deterrent. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think that... I think that Zoo just, he makes the defense so much better. He raises the floor to me of what that, of what that starting lineup can be. And Serge, I mean, like, I, don't, I feel like we're getting into this weird realm where we have a lot of players that, like, I definitely see the upside and, like, I can see the vision. But, I mean, if they ha either haven't been in the lineup because of injuries or it hasn't quite panned out that way, um, maybe it's it's time that we stop looking at the upside and start like focusing on what we actually have. Well, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, I guess I felt like 
I felt like what we needed, uh, what we needed sort of at the deadline was another defensive minded center who could kind of soak up minutes, especially with Serge, uh, with, you know, with Serge being out and Patrick Patterson being, you know, unplayable essentially defensively. And instead of going for a defensive center, we went with DeMarcus Cousins. And I mean, still just a 10 day. Uh, I, I don't, you know, we don't know if he'll end up, you know, playing in the playoffs, but that to me was a move that I thought kind of signified that they were comfortable going with zoo uh, in sort of closing scenarios. I, I, do you have any thoughts on that? So to me, the, the roster went healthy, doesn't have any holes. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that they needed to address anything at the trade deadline. Um, I wasn't of the belief that they needed a third center unless of course, you know, health was an issue. And that's why I think DeMarcus has surfaced on this 10 day because like apparently Serge isn't even playing like three on three or anything yet. Like he's not even on the court, which is a little concerning um, because like you said, there are only 20 games left in the season. I think the playoffs are going to start in about a month, you know, maybe six weeks. Uh, Yeah. Mid May. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're like, we're like five, six weeks away from the playoffs starting and, you know, it takes another two weeks for Serge to ramp up. How much time does he have to get like, reacclimated to the starting lineup because it's not just like, Oh, that starting lineup was wrecking teams at the start of the season. We're going to put surge back in and everything's going to be the same. It's not the same starting lineup. We've got Morris in place of Batum, which I think makes the Clippers better. Sure. But again, it's another adjustment that you have to make because they did not play together like at all during the first part of the season. One of the reasons I think actually that zoo has done so well is because they made that switch together. Like zoo started, as the five when Morris made his entry into starting lineup and it helps that they played together a year before too, but I digress. Um, I don't think that the Clippers actually need another defensive center, mostly because they've got Zoo right. Who I think can stretch to like 28, 30 minutes a game. And then I think they just like going small, you know, with Marcus Morris at the five, yeah. I don't love the defensive potential of that lineup. Like I know Ty says that he likes that you can switch everything. And in theory, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to have one to five who can just, take anybody in the lineup, but I hate the rebounding in that group so very much. And I just don't think that like they get enough easy offense to make the scoring like reliable in in the clutch where yeah, everybody on that five man lineup can shoot threes. Sure. Everybody on any clipper lineup basically can shoot threes, right? Like if it's not Zubach, then everybody on this team shoots threes. So yeah, I, I just think that like you've got your one defensive center and Zoo and Surge is good enough to where yeah. like I don't think you would be at a disadvantage playing him like against Jokic down the stretch if you needed to if, like Zoo is in foul trouble or something. Um, th- that he's the weaker defensive option doesn't suggest to me that he's like a bad defensive option at all. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't think like the Marcus is. I don't think he's going to play in the playoffs is basically how I see it. So it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most likely. I mean, things are going badly. Yes. I feel like if, if DeMarcus is, is getting playoff rotation minutes. Right. And the fact that he came in in the second quarter should have been like just the biggest F you to Portland. Like we don't take this game seriously. We're going to like play DeMarcus during meaningful minutes, apparently, uh, because that's how little we think of you as a threat currently. But yeah. Um, I, I like to hear that we're all on the same page about Zubach. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I think Serge is going to take the starting spot back unless it's, like, another two weeks. And if, then if, you... if Zoo is in the closing lineup, to yeah. me, that's all that matters. Like, yeah. I, and, and maybe the small ball five thing will be more a factor in the playoffs. I don't know. I look up and down at the Western Conference, and, like, in a tight game, like, against the front courts of the West, I, I don't really see it being that much of an advantage to have Marcus at the five. Yeah, I like it against Utah. 
because oh yeah oh because it did work yeah true but um also just like the theory of it makes a lot of sense because Rudy Gobert is not going to post up anybody right yeah and he's their best defensive player by a large margin and he is very much neutralized when he's playing defense against that lineup right like they were just like nominally having him guard Patrick Beverly and Patch just getting wide open three after wide open three. And obviously they're not all going to go in, but enough of them are going to go in because he is an elite spot up shooter that is not treated as such, but yeah, that's what Pat Bev is. They're wide open looks. They're wide open looks. Exactly. Um, But that's actually kind of a nice transition into the next thing. So we talked a little bit about Phoenix. Um, I'm of the belief that Phoenix is probably the second toughest matchup for the Clippers in the West. Uh, But I don't want to, you know, poison the well here. Who do you think is the toughest matchup for the Clippers, you know, if they were on the way to the finals? Who's, who in the West gives you the most concerns? I do not want to see Denver. I do not want to see Denver before a conference final. Um, I was not worried by, about Denver. Uh, they got better at the trade deadline. And it's not just a personnel standpoint. Like, they, they definitely, as a team, have, like, tightened up. I, you know, they started off really rough. Uh, they were below 500 at one point, And, they, I mean, they've just tightened the screws. And I just don't like the matchup. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't like the matchup. They looked so good defensively. I think that they're the only people who can give, um, our forwards sort of a lot of trouble defensively. Uh, and then Jokic, I mean, we contained him a lot better in the last matchup and limited his assists, which I think is, is hard to do when you're, you know, like when you're throwing multiple looks at him. So I, I just don't, I, I don't like that matchup at all. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to land. Uh, Denver is the number one team that concerns me for the Clippers, uh, they, they did already beat the Clippers. Um, yeah. Obviously, the Clippers are different than they were a year ago. Uh, I don't think Jokic is going to have as easy of a time against the centers that the Clippers have this year versus last year. Uh, but I was, I mean, I know Denver had a nice win against the Clippers last week, but I wasn't as impressed with Denver, I think, as like the consensus because, you know, they, they have a full team healthy, right? Mm-hmm. And the Clippers are just bringing back Paul George. They didn't have Patrick Beverly. Um, don't have Ibaka, right? You know, you're playing lots of Patrick Patterson minutes. And like you said, Patrick Patterson, I think is unplayable in postseason minutes. And yet there's like what a, a five minute stretch in the third quarter or the fourth quarter where like, if the Clippers just make one or two more baskets, they have the lead and all of that's for not. So I, I like Denver. I still think that the Clippers are capable of slowing them down more so than like other teams in the league. I think Jokic presents a different challenge, obviously offensively than anybody like Any, I've ever yeah, watched anyone. play. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm concerned about Denver. I just, the thing is, I still think that the Clippers are the favorites in the West. And even though I think the Denver matchup is bad, I probably am not as scared of it as I think the consensus was after like, oh my God, look at Aaron Gordon go. And, you know, I, I think there's like a bit of a honeymoon phase with the Nuggets right now, mm-hmm. which like, sure, you know, it's it's great. They've won every game since the trade deadline, but I, I would still peg the Clippers as favorites in that matchup were it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, and there's no Jeremy Grant this year, who was the Kawhi killer all last season. I thought Gary Harris um, was good too. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I mean, like, I don't. I think the Clippers can get past them. It's just a series that I don't want to see early yeah. um, because it's. I don't know. I think that's just a much. It's a harder series than it should have to be in the first or second round. Yeah, I mean, I, I would take the Clippers as favorites. I wouldn't expect them to get out in less than six. Yeah. No. Yeah, not no way. No way. Uh, and then and then the Suns though are also right up there too. I mean that like that is a matchup that I, look I 
still have questions just because the playoff reps aren't there. Like the talent certainly is there. Um, but they do not worry me as much as like, as, as a Denver does. Um, and I mean, the Lakers, if, and when they're, they're healthy, uh, and also just being a Clippers fan, man, I have huge questions about Chris Paul's durability <laughs> in the playoffs, uh, when healthy factor, uh, yeah, if healthy that's a really question good mark point, how has he gotten through this condensed season unscathed? I mean, like knock on wood, obviously I don't want anything bad to happen to Chris Paul because that would just be unfortunate, yeah. but, uh, I think. Chris Paul makes them just like almost as concerning as the Nuggets to me because he and Booker are just mid-range fiends, right? Yeah, and you mentioned yeah. that like this is what the Clippers concede and rightfully so because it's technically the least efficient part of the court. But I mean, if you're just going to let Chris Paul walk into an elbow jumper or Devin Booker, you know, similarly, like that's oh yeah, that's a bit different than having like Colin Sexton and Darius Carlin do the same thing, right? Like it's, who still did pretty who well. Who still did pretty well. <laughs> Uh, so that's sort of what concerns me about the the Suns is that they just take exactly what the Clippers are going to give them. And I'm not sure that that small lineup, like you mentioned, is going to be very effective against the Suns because they could also go small. Like Darius Arch has been awesome at the five this year. And yeah. then do you really want to like test Marcus Morris guarding DeAndre Ayton? Like, I don't want to. Uh, no, no. But I like that matchup. I do like that matchup for Zoo though. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the kind of thing where you would just need to play conventionally down the stretch. And yeah, I, I mean, they're just hit, they're hitting a super stride right now. But but here's the thing: I I do also I like the the Suns are definitely legitimate. I guess they have the like the third hardest schedule in the NBA coming up. Okay. Uh, you look at this like six game win streak. There's not like statement wins. They beat like the battered up Lakers. Uh, they did they did beat the Jazz. Uh, so I I mean like I just feel this way about the Suns, like this is their first year here and it kind of strikes me as that thing that like a team uh makes a huge jump into the playoffs and like we get really excited but like when the reps aren't there um i i mean like you can trust chris paul for sure but like who else i in a playoff situation like do you know that you can trust i mean devin booker is a great scorer but we haven't seen him in a seven game series yeah unless you count the bubble last year That was an eight-game series for Devin Booker, and he went undefeated. Uh, yeah, that that's a really good point. I think about all of the teams that sort of like make the leap. You know, um, how like Golden State, their first year in the playoffs, they topped out in the second round, or like even this current Denver team, their first four into the postseason, they topped out in the second round, even though they were they had home court advantage in that second round series against Portland, which I still don't really know how they lost the series. But yeah, there's a certain ceiling I think for younger teams, and based on the way the standings shake out, like the Clippers are not going to face the Suns in the first round. So no. you don't really have to, you know, they, they would technically hit their like young team ceiling by the time they played the Clippers. And then that's where you sort of trust Ty Lue's experience in these situations and all of the Clippers collective experience in these situations to edge out whatever Monty Williams and their, that group is working with, just because it takes some time to build winning teams. I think you're absolutely onto something there. Uh, what about Dallas? So, I know that Dallas has been like, has been really good over the last couple of months. Um, it's just another situation where I, I just think that we match up pretty well against them. Um, Luca is, you know, like, like Luca did great against us last year in the playoffs. And I still, I mean, that one ended up going six games, but I didn't think that it was even that close. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm sort of of the opposite belief. Actually. I thought it was really close. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Like uh, game one, you know, if Kate, 
Porzingis doesn't get injured, maybe Dallas wins that one and mm-hmm. they won game two. So then like, then they, they didn't have Porzingis for the last three games as well. Yeah. Uh, I also just think like the Clippers legitimately cannot stop that team. Like yes. Luca scores at will against them. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't think that was going to be the case because again, like all of these perimeter defensive options, maybe during the playoffs it was different because Patrick probably wasn't healthy, but I do worry. And yeah, the last two times they played Dallas, Pat Pep wasn't healthy. So if Pat Pep is not healthy, Dallas is a team that actually kind of concerns me because they just score really, really well against the Clippers. And yeah, they don't really play that much defense, but like they're like a historically good offense too. So it's yeah. the kind of thing where I just think they could put up a lot of points and just get you in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge one too, where it's like if the Clippers don't come out ready, like very strong early, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's, I mean, we could definitely, we could easily drop two games in a playoff series like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the, if Dallas is just rolling kind of early um, and I, I don't know, I suspect, I suspect that this Clippers team will look a little bit different if they were to match up in doubt da- against Dallas uh, versus like the first, the first round last year. Uh, I, you know, I would expect more out of Paul George. Uh, I think Morris's role is a little bit more clearly defined than it was last year, which helps. Um, and then, you know, I, actually, you know, if Ty actually plays zoo in closing minutes or important minutes, I, you know, I just think that it looks a lot different than it did last year. Yeah, that's fair. I still think that Dallas scares me more than even Utah, which is crazy because Utah really? is the number one seed. Uh, I just have zero faith in Utah's ability to score when it counts against yeah. the Slippers defense uh, because they only really have one guy who can like blow past a defender in uh, Donovan. And then like beyond that, like, are you just relying on like Jordan Clarkson pull up threes? I, I just don't see where the offense is coming from because the Clippers are so solid in the half court, like when they switch, I just don't see where Utah's openings are going to come from. Like they played this really beautiful type of offense and the Clippers pretty easily shut it down the one game that they were healthy. So yeah. that's that honestly, like it's weird because Utah best record in the league, I think uh, best record in the West for sure. Maybe among the least concerning playoff matchups for me, them in Portland. Yeah. And I like, I don't know if I'm being disrespectful to Utah or whatever, but yeah, it's like the same thing. I, I mean, when it, when it slows down in the playoffs and like the half court offense and you're grinding it out, we've seen the Clippers do that. We've seen them do it throughout the regular season, sometimes unnecessarily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just, yeah, I, I like that matchup for the Clippers. Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's not one that, that scares me. I mean, Gobert is like another one of those guys that if you talk about like the, the untangible MVP uh, is certainly interesting, but I just, I don't think they have the one-on-one defenders to to handle the Clippers in a seven-game series. Yeah, I really like watching them. I think they're quite fun to watch. And yeah. like you said, I think Gobert has a really interesting MVP case, uh, probably ahead of Chris Walls, actually. But um, yeah. he's, I mean, he's just so integral. Like he, I mean, he, he I mean, he's, he's the not reason just like a lot everything threat, works. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like he's, his presence in the center is why the guards can like have all their motion because you have to have somebody attached to him at all times. And like, his defense is the reason that all of those little guys can play together because he just cleans up everything. And even so, I still think the Clippers are very well suited to match up against that. So I'm not entirely concerned. Uh, last thing before we go, any predictions for tomorrow's game against Phoenix? Um. Oh, wow. It's second night of back-to-back for Phoenix. Yeah, they get uh, Utah tonight. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is going to be really difficult. I still think... 
I still think it's going to be a tough game. I think the Clippers are sort of hitting a stride again right now. Um, I think we can, I think that we'll come out early uh, to a lead and then the Suns will tighten the gap. But I think ultimately the Clippers will pull away um, in the end. I think, I, th- I think it'll be like one, I'm hoping we hold them sub one, sub 110. So like 109 to 116, I would be very, very happy. I would feel to 116. Okay. I would feel pretty validated with that performance for the Clippers. That is a very specific prediction. That is not one that I was expecting. I was just thinking, Oh, win or loss. Um, Bill come out to a big lead 31 points worth, <laughs> <laughs> not 31 points worth. <laughs> and give some of it away. Okay. Yeah. I I'm just fascinated to see what it looks like because I do think we're getting to the point in the season where Ty Luke can't hold everything back. You know, I know he's yeah. talked about playing coy in terms of like defense and how you're going to guard. And so I'm, I'm sure they're not going to like, you know, throw the kitchen sink at Paul and Booker, but they are going to run the stuff that they want to run offensively. And I am very curious to see what that looks like against a Phoenix defense. That's, it's pretty interesting, right? Like you've got Mikhail Bridges and Crowder and just a lot of long rangy dudes who can cover up some ground and that they've got a great bench too, which yeah. do you think we could maybe see some Luke in this one just to put up some points? <laughs> I miss Luke. I miss him already. Yeah, we didn't talk Luke enough on this. Yeah. I, I, I meant to bring him up and like Ty Lue's rotation, he just fell out of it. And <laughs> I apologize, Luke, because I I don't think it's happening for him this season. I think he's going to no. find himself on the outside looking in, but, you know, at least three more years in LA to look forward to, Gennard. <laughs> uh, Will, tell the people where they can find what you do. Uh, so I host Locked on Clippers. You can find us on pretty much any podcast platform. You can check us out on Twitter. That's at Locked on Clips. I'm also on Twitter at Will Updike sporadically. I was about uh, to say, um, are you on Twitter? <laughs> very sporadically. But yeah, uh, check out the show Locked on Clips. We come out Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Pacific. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good time. In my biased opinion, it's a pretty good time. I, I would agree. It's a good time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on this show. And make sure you're subscribed to our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you want to listen to your shows. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>